The date is Friday, May 20th, and you're listening to Entertain This, a thought-provoking podcast encapsulating all things entertainment. On this episode, we're talking about the classic film Forrest Gump. We'll go into all the historical events that he lived through and discuss the significant symbolism displayed in this movie. And maybe we'll find out why this podcast is a lot like a box of chocolates, because you never know what you're going to get. So enjoy! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to your favorite show on the internet, encapsulating all things entertainment. You know it, you love it. It must be a Wednesday, because it's Entertain This. Entertain This. You see, because we record on Wednesdays. Mm. I'm Alex. I'm Michael. And I'm Nick. Uh, Yeah, like I was saying, we record on Wednesdays, so that's why I said the Wednesday bit, because in case you guys didn't know, at least for now, we go live every Wednesday as we're recording this show. So maybe Mm -hmm. next week, you'll want to tune in. You want to listen live. You want to talk to us as we do this, maybe, maybe just maybe, if you're feeling it, if you're feeling social, if you're feeling like you want to discuss some stuff with your favorite three boys, talk about all things entertainment, that option's out there for you if, if you think maybe you want to do it. Guys, what a week, what a week, what a week, what a mighty good week. It has been lovely weather where we're from. Yeah. Uh, it's been great weather outside. It's been getting hot. Too hot. Too hot to handle. Too hot. Hot. Damn. I kind of like it. Call the police and the fireman, because it's too hot. Oh, okay. Makes sense. The police can adjust the thermostat outside. They just don't tell you. <laughs> the idea of there being a thermostat that can be adjusted. What do you think is in those traffic control boxes? Oh, oh wow. Think about it, man. You just blew this case wide open. Nick, clearly. <laughs> Best clearly, <of> reporting. <laughs> clearly, you're the the uh, the brains of this operation. You've Have just you made that clear. The inside of a traffic control box? I haven't. There must be a thermostat in there, right? Have you ever seen the inside of one of those? <laughs> what else could it be? <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> what if it's a really small Build-A-Bear workshop hmm. to make very small bears? <laughs> be actually kind of cool. <laughs> but as I was saying, Nick, you're clearly the brains of this operation, so maybe you should host an episode. <laughs> that was an interesting segue, but I'll take it. Why? Every time. Every time I do a fun segue. <laughs> if I'm the smartest it, person in the room, there's something wrong. <laughs> there's a I there is a wave of of mojo that I cascade upon the show as I do those segues. And you immediately build a dam every time you say, That was an interesting segue. Well, that, that was, was a weird good. that was a, a very good segue. That was a when you say the word segue, the mojo stops. So, do I have to say it a special way? No, you just don't comment on the Segway. You just take it. Oh, the cool. only way you're allowed to talk about Segway is if you talk about the fad in the early to mid-2000s <laughs> about the vehicle Segway. How to be the whitest person ever. What Step about in the late segway? 2000s when they did the hoverboards? Ooh, that was a should, craze. Should I get one of those? No. No? No. I'd probably fall and break my head open or something. <laughs> what about the hit movie Paul Blart Mall Cop in which mm. he rides a Segway? Classic. That's that's not what we're talking about today. We are talking about a movie, but we're talking about a movie. We're talking about a movie. We're talking about a film. Um, I have to do we're... a little intro bit to set the scene for you, if you don't mind. Okay, before you do that, though, do you remember when the creator of the Segway died because he <laughs> seg- wanted to show that the Segway's <laughs> automatic stopping capabilities could stop him from going over a cliff? 
<laughs> that probably appeared on a thousand ways to die. I can see it. <laughs> You're fucking with me, right? I don't think I am. You don't think you are? You just I'm go not... spouting that step out fifty percent sure of a situation. <laughs> did you know checker? our fact did you know our fact checker's not here? <laughs> We're gonna have to live with that truth. Segway creator death. Yeah, Segway <laughs> company owner rides scooter off cliff dies. Thanks, NBC. <laughs> That's tragic. Shout out to you, NBC. That's tragically delicious. I like it. <laughs> Speaking of segues, did you have an intro for your topic today? Oh, I almost forgot. Of course I did. You have once again found yourselves in Mr. Thicknick's U.S. history class. As you know, it's towards the end of the school year, and it's a nice day towards the end of May right now, and I've got the windows open so you can feel that warm breeze kind of blow in. It's mid-afternoon, and I know this is one of your last classes towards the end of the day, so you're probably a little tired. And I'm pretty tired, too. And I've been barking at these freshmen and sophomores all day, and I could do hmm, with a little something to rest my voice for a while. You'll notice towards the front of the classroom, right in front of the usual chalkboard here, I've wheeled in the television screen, which you know, you kids know, this can only mean one thing. We're going to be watching a movie. In my hands, I have a VHS that we're going to watch um, just over the next few weeks of class before the final exam as a kind of review, as a kind of recap of the semester's learnings. So class, I'd like you to guess what I'm holding in my hands. Yes, Alex? What class are we in? <laughs> U.S. History. Oh. Mm. Well, we already did Saving Private Ryan. That's true. That'd be just like a World War II recap, wouldn't it? Yeah, for U.S. History. Yeah. Towards the right. end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anytime we talk about like wheeling a TV into a classroom, I just immediately think of a Bill, 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 uh, what? This is a movie, right? Not like an yeah. educational movie that you yeah. watched in high school. Yeah, this is a this is a proper film. This is an actual it, it film. Is, it is one uh, Academy Awards. That's true. Thicknick, yep. give us, Mister Thicknick, give us a number of questions we can ask you um, before exactly you just tell three. us. And have we already asked one? I think so. You've already used your one wish. You got okay. two more. We got two more. Mike, do you have a question? I have a question. Go yeah. for it. What what year was this movie made? Uh, nineteen ninety four. Oh shit! It's exactly as old as I am. <laughs> kind of scary. A U.S. history movie oh, from nineteen ninety four. Oh, I think I fucking got this. What, yeah, well, go ahead. Don't don't swear in my classroom, sir. You're oh, I'm sorry, Mister Thick. You're, I'm sorry, your thickness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> your thickness. Your thickness. <laughs> uh, what 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 movie has taken place over multitude of historic U.S. events is the only thing that comes to my brain. Mm. Which one could that be? Mm. Maybe one. The time traveler's wife. Yeah. Oh no. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no. But you go. What was yours? Uh, I was gonna say uh, the the story the 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 tale of Senor uh, Forrest Gump. Yeah, nailed it. 
Yeah. Bonus points for Gryffindor. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> a boy. Never once saw that in school. I don't think that was allowed. You're also absolutely <laughs> yeah. not a Gryffindor. I know that. No, the only thing... No, I am a Gryffindor, actually. Oh, you are a Gryffindor? Yeah. I'm a Gryffindor, too. Wow. I, yeah, that's... Nick's yeah. probably like a Hufflepuff. Either a Hufflepuff or a Ravenclaw. Yeah. Okay, I guess. I John's forgot a Slytherin because he's a fucking snake. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> if you want more information on that, go watch the newest episode of Big Chicken Bits. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're talking about Forrest Gump. Um, not Harry Potter. Maybe that's a future episode. I don't know. No. Uh, but hopefully you've been paying attention to my history class. Um, we don't support J.K. Rowling here. <laughs> she can go J.K. Rowling down a hill. <laughs> Uh, hopefully you did pay attention in, in U.S. history class, but if not, that's, you know, that's fine too. We're going on a little field trip today down to Alabama to meet this guy named Forrest. Forrest and, Gump. Forrest Gump. And we're going to listen to the stories that he has to tell. And then we're going to bring it back here to the classroom and talk about what it could really mean underneath the surface. So buckle up and entertain this. Nice. One of my favorite things about Forrest Gump, just off the shoot, is probably one of my favorite literary devices used in writing. A flashback? No. Uh, oh. It's called framed narrative. Ooh, okay, what's that? Yeah. So framed narrative is the idea of a, uh, a an untrustworthy narrator. Mm. Um, the reason being that when someone is telling you a story and that story is the story that you're reading... Chances are they're going to embellish some things, get some things wrong, remember some things as not really factual as they could have, mm -hmm. um, read situations wrong, remember what people said wrong, and they usually form the narrative around what they want uh, the story to be. Mm -hmm. So even when it comes to historical events in a framed narrative, um, you'll often find that uh, the stories that you're being told aren't 100% true. Right. Um but more importantly, what a frame narrative sets up is there's a story going on and then inside of the story that's going on, they're telling you a story. So it, mm -hmm. yeah. one story makes up the frame of the second story. Um, so that's movies like The Princess Bride is a frame yep. narrative movie. Uh, Forrest Gump is, of course, a great example of a frame narrative movie and things like that, where mm -hmm. it's someone telling a story to somebody else. Um the notebook right. is another really great example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the <clears throat> the kind of frame in The Princess Bride to just kind of tack onto that is like the, the grandpa's telling this young little girl a story and he's it's reading a, a storybook. Oh boy. I can yep. I couldn't remember his gender. I'm sorry. It's um, okay. But that's kind of like that's the frame. And with Forrest Gump, the the frame, the frame narrative is the story of <laughs> all his life events happening as he's sitting on a bus stop waiting for a bus. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where the story begins. So personally, I think Forrest Gump is one of the best films of all time. Agree. Hard agree. And oh, it's yeah. not because it was earth shattering when it came out or it's aesthetically pleasing. For me, I think I'm more drawn towards the context of the movie, which is ostensibly U.S. history, um, but it could be a couple other things and we'll get to that later. Um, I think that it's important to me why it really resonates is the old adage that is often repeated on this show. It's that history never repeats itself, but it often rhymes. And some of those rhymes are kind of displayed in this film. If only the first stanza only to be echoed later in a current state of history that we're in right now. The events that we're living through today are the responses to those initial rhymes all those years ago. It's films like Forrest Gump that help us recognize that fact. 
By learning about what happened before our time, we are better able to predict what may happen in the future or to better understand the context of what we're experiencing right now. Um, so now, with that being said, I want to go to the historical context, context of what went into making this film because, you know, it was released in 1994. I don't really remember much about that time because I was <laughs> I was in a crib, you know? Well, I mean, it's important to first note that it was a book. That's true. Yeah. Um, and that book was written in a completely different time than when the movie was released. Not that different, but yeah, it was close. It was 86 when the book came out and it was, you know, 94, as I said before. I have very out. different mind pictures of the year 1984 and the year 19. They're, they're very 96. different. That's they're true. very different in my head. <laughs> what, eight years apart and it's a world of difference? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It really was. Um, but if you, if you kind of play back the memories, I guess if you have memories, if you're old enough to have memories from the, from the nineties, you'll remember that, you know, our boy, Bill Clinton was elected. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. All of us were born. Our boy. Bill, 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 Bill. <laughs> no. Our, our boy who we, whom we, we have indoctrined into, <laughs> into lore and legend. You had the, uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall was in uh, 1989, I believe. Then you had the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991. And you have the United States of America standing alone as this lone superpower with a lone force for good on the, on the earth at this time. And it's a time of relative peace. Uh, there's still wars going on, you know, that's a constant on this planet that we call home. But, um, and we're all kind of getting excited for this upcoming new millennium. And I think part of that is looking back on the century that we had as Americans, it's kind of the, the, the era from 1900 to 2000, I think is going to be looked upon as the quote unquote American era. Um, because I don't think there was another country out there that can say that we were as influential as that, uh, during this time. So, I think we're kind of looking back on these passing years and the century that we've had through these rose-colored glasses, these patriotic filters on our eyes that we look back and we're like, oh yeah, we did we did this, this, and that, and this, and it was great. We had a great time doing it. And we specifically had a great Only time doing us. it. <laughs> <laughs> Just like we're the ones who totally invented fireworks and we didn't steal that from anybody, and that's mm -hmm. our thing. Totally true. We invented the car, um, <laughs> other things that we didn't invent, <laughs> heavier than air travel. That was actually a French guy. Uh, cool story. Anyways, as you said, it is based on a 1986 novel by the same name by a Winston Groom mm -hmm. and it stars Tom Hanks. And yeah, I'm talking about another Tom Hanks based entertainment this episode. Um, and it's also uh, directed by Robert Zemeckis, who you might know directed the polar express high school musical back to the future no it wasn't high school musical no it was back to the future yeah it was back to the future <laughs> um so both of those are episodes that i've i've spoken on um but you big you know, rob robbie zemeck fan apparently i like his films he, he said <laughs> he said i've just discovered that about myself but yeah i guess i am <laughs> love me some robbie z um rob zombie <laughs> this no <laughs> rob zombie's good too though um, the other actors that you might recognize from this film are Robin Wright, Gary Sinise, uh, Michael T. Williamson, who plays Bubba, mm -hmm. and Sally Field, who plays Forrest Gump's mom. Um, and the story portrayed in this film is a recap of modern U.S. history. So that's um, modern in the sense that it's after World War II and before mm -hmm. the fall of the Soviet Union. So it's roughly the 1950s through the 1980s that's portrayed in this film because it's 1981 when he's sitting on the, the bench waiting for his bus to come in. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so it's several decades of time in U.S. history and the life and times of Forrest Gump. And Forrest is kind of a, he's a kind-hearted Southern man. He's a little slow-witted, uh, but he kind of unwittingly rubs shoulders with or bumps into all these historical figures in 20th century United States. And a fun fact, um, that the first few scenes of this movie, his mother, his mother kind of reviews with him why he's named Forrest. And <laughs> it's not really funny <laughs> at all, but he's named after an ancestor, Nathaniel Bedford Forrest, who is a Scottish American and noted Confederate general yeah. in the civil war. So that should be a big red flag there, but it gets worse. Um, he said, <laughs> Forrest kind of recaps this. He said, he started a club where they dressed up as ghosts in bed sheets. Yeah. <laughs> and that can only mean one thing. He's of course the founder of the KKK, which is a racist organization. Um, and they've done a lot of bad things. He's the first grand this, wizard. This movie is not something you should, well, maybe in a high school for sure, but not in a middle school. Not in a no. middle school. No. no, 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 no. I would argue to say it's maybe a college course movie day. Okay. I mean, I think like high schoolers can handle it. There is that a couple of scenes with Jenny where I maybe would pull back the curtain a bit. For sure, for sure. There's also the scene where Forrest's mom has sex with the dean of the school. <laughs> That's, That's coming up. In the yeah. first 10 minutes. Yeah. Well, we're talking about Forrest Gump's childhood, just kind of a divine realization that I had while I was sitting here is that uh, <laughs> Forrest Gump taught Elvis how to dance. It's yeah. True. We come yeah. to find out. That's yeah. his um, first kind of run-in with yeah, uh, uh, history. Yeah, yeah. did his little funny walk for him. And he said, do that funny <laughs> walk again. <laughs> I can. And then yeah. <laughs> here's here's the divine uh, realization part, oh. is that there's an Elvis movie coming out called Elvis. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you know who plays Elvis's manager in this new movie? Uh-huh. Tom Hanks. <laughs> Forrest Gump. Tom Hanks has done too much. I'll say it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> You're within I, seven degrees of Tom I Hanks. No, I... I, I I am a big fan of Mr. Mr. Hanks. Mm -hmm. Mr. Hank. Mr. Mr. Hanks. Hanks. Yeah. yeah. He's done a lot of good stuff. He's a good Shout actor. out to you, Mr. Tom Hanks. If you ever want to come on the podcast, we could probably try to fit you in. We got a warm seat for you. We have a cool seat, if you prefer. Cool. Hot seat. We got yeah. we got all kinds of seats. We'll try to keep you out the hot seat. Anyway, seat go ahead. <laughs> but uh, Forrest Gump's mom says that um, his name was kind of a reminder that sometimes people do things that don't make no sense. <laughs> so you're going to name your kid after uh, a racist, whatever. Um, but it's kind of established early on that this film is told. It's a frame narrative by Mr. Forrest Gump, who kind of narrates his life story. And he's somebody, he's recalling it to all these various people that are sitting on the, on the bench right next to him, waiting for their bus to come. Mm -hmm. And you know, one of those people that um, kind of sits next to you and tells their life story to you, he's mm -hmm. one of those people. And personally, I don't really mind that because <laughs> I kind of like, yeah, that's far more entertaining than, you know, watching birds or staring at my phone or whatever else. I, I'm all for life stories. Please tell me more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anyone that would turn down like a Forrest Gump style retelling of no. their life, especially <laughs> if it is anything similar to the Forrest Gump story. No. Yeah. <laughs> and anyways, that's how I met Bill Quentin. <laughs> and that's how I met your mother. <laughs> Forrest Gump, How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> um, but the first few uh, frames of this movie, I guess, uh, you have the credits rolling and you have this feather kind of falling from the sky, drifting and making its way towards the bottom. And it eventually lands on Tom Hanks's lap, Forrest Gump's lap. 
and he takes it and he closes it up in his suitcase. And then he proceeds to offer a young lady sitting next to him a chocolate. And he says that classic line that we all know and love, life's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. (laughs) (laughs) It's just one of the several aphorisms that he starts by saying, mama always used to say, he always begins every sentence that he's about to say something like, I don't know, kind of down homey with mama always used to say. So yeah. Um, it's kind of cute, I guess. It's it's this thing that like there's not an original thought in his head. It's no, <laughs> just every, everything is just regurgitation of like his interpretation of it. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, but this poor lady sitting next to him is clearly not interested. She's trying to read People magazine, and she's like, uh, you know, uh, get me out of here. She's not paying any attention, like other than a uh huh or a mm hmm kind of thing going on. Um, and you know, you hear all this thing about today with kids burying their faces in their phone and they're waiting for a bus, but Hey, I mean, they had magazines back then. What do you think they were for? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes people don't want to talk to you and that's okay. Yeah. Um, but Forrest kind of starts his life story by telling this lady about his first pair of shoes. He says, mama said that you can tell a lot about a person by the kind of shoes that they wear. And he says, uh, you know, he had, he had leg braces. We didn't say that. His magic shoes. His magic shoes. Um, his doctor said that his has a spine as crooked as a politician. So, um, it's kind of funny cause that's still true today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it, it's implied that maybe he had polio as a kid and it kind of warped his spine a little bit, or maybe he has one of those conditions that, you know, you're just born with and you have to deal with, but he grew up in this little town called Greenbow, Alabama in the fifties. And his mom owns a bed and breakfast that travelers come by and stay in. Uh, but now remember, this is a comedy. So when Mrs. Gump tells Forrest, you're not different. You're just the same as everyone else. It cuts milliseconds later to the principal of the school telling him that he is different with an average <laughs> IQ of 75. So it kind of serves to flesh out this character of Forrest Gump. He's below average intelligence guy. He has what some might call an intellectual disability. Um, but his mom really cares about him. So naturally... <laughs> There's this scene where he sleeps with the superintendent. She sleeps with the superintendent. And then the superintendent walks out of the house. And he says, you don't really talk much to Forrest sitting on the bench. And he starts mimicking the sound of him having sex. He, 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 he. It's oh, funny man. sometimes. It has these brief moments of just like... <laughs> Come on, Forrest. <laughs> oh, there's so many moments in this movie that just make me like smile from just thinking back to the first <laughs> yeah. time and just how much it cracked me up. And especially like this movie came out when you the year you and I were born, Nick. Right. Um, and for me, it was something that like it was one of my dad's favorite movies. So right. I I've been watching Forrest Gump since I was about five to six years old (laughs) (laughs) i think same here too yeah i don't really remember the first time i watched it but i certainly remember the last time i watched it i absolutely remember the first time that that scene clicked in my head as to what was happening (laughs) oh they're having the sixth (laughs) time (laughs) i was like because when you're little it's just like oh force is making a funny noise at him that's fun (laughs) yeah that's funny (laughs) i promise it's the last time i'll make that noise (laughs) Uh, but anyways, we cut to a later period in his life where Elvis is visiting the house, a young man from, uh, where's he from? Tennessee. Yeah. Um, but he comes by and Elvis is playing his guitar and Forrest starts dancing with his leg braces on. And he's like, do that funny walk again, as we said before. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's where he got his, you know, 
risque gyrating hips move that everyone flipped the hell out about <laughs> in the fifties. <laughs> oh, he's flocking his hips around. Oh. <laughs> um, but this is this is where after that scene is where we introduce his Forrest's love interest in the movie. Uh, young Forrest has a crush on this little girl named Jenny who sits next to him on his bus ride the first day of school. Um, they become fast friends, and Forrest says they're like they become like peas and carrots. Um, <laughs> it's just kind of cute, I guess. Later on, of course, it evolves into um, a more serious relationship, and uh, you know we'll we'll get there in a minute. But uh, you get one of these first scenes, the famous "Run, Forrest, Run" scene, where he's being bullied and throwing rocks. At, the boys are throwing rocks at Forrest, and Jenny tells him to run, Forrest, run. So he takes off down this this trail and his leg braces come off. It's like this miraculous event. And ever since then, he's, he just runs. He's a good runner. That's what yeah. he does. Um, it's, it's kind of a, a cool scene. Um, later on down the road that takes him, his run takes him into a college football practice field and it lands him a spot on the team, making him uh, part of the university of Alabama. He gets a football scholarship. So, yeah. This here's this guy with a with an IQ of 75 who gets to go to college because he can run really well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it becomes the 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 uh uh the the all the all oh I can't remember the All name America team. Yeah, the All America yep. team as a kick returner. Now, is that a big deal because I don't know sports very well. Is All American story? Yeah. So imagine like All America is like you pick one to two people at a specific position mm-hmm. at, and those are considered the best of the best Oh, out of like everyone in the nation. So out of any college football player, he was considered the best kick returner. Hmm. See, that's not explained in the movie. And if you don't know much about sports, <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> well, cause, cause Forrest doesn't know. <laughs> Forrest right. doesn't know and neither do I. <laughs> Framed narrative. <laughs> the narrator doesn't know something, neither do you. Uh, but hopefully, you know, you listen to this podcast to be like, oh, that's what, that's what happened there. I don't know. Just a guess. I think uh, one of my favorite parts about this movie is the fact that they like, not just like frame the narrative as, uh, Forrest, but they frame the narrative as someone who was watching Forrest in this time. <laughs> so like in this case, when Forrest is going up and getting, um, I can't remember if this is when he's getting his medal for, uh, the Vietnam war or for the, uh, all America team. All America team. Yeah. Where he drinks 30 Dr. Peppers. Okay. So yeah, and that then was he has when to he... pee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like it frames the narrative as like he's on TV and the camera close up on him. How do you feel, son? <laughs> I, gotta I gotta pee. pee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But before we do that, we have to visit another historical run-in because while he's on the University of Alabama's campus, um, you get this kind of historical event called George Wallace's stand in the schoolhouse door. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember learning about this in U.S. history class, but um, it did happen in 1963. And do you guys know anything about this before I get started? Not really. I've heard mm-hmm. of it. Okay. Um, so this is part of broadly the civil rights movement. Um, so right off the bat, that should tell you something about it. But it was the George Wallace was the governor of Alabama at the time, and he made this symbolic attempt to... Um, keep his inaugural promise, segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. Um, and he wanted to stop the desegregation of schools. So he stood in the door of the auditorium uh, to block the entry of these two African-American students, um, Vivian Malone and James Hood. In a response, JFK isn't taking this shit. So he signs, <laughs> he issues executive order 11111, it's five ones, 
which federalized the Alabama National Guard, and the Guard General Henry V. Graham then commanded Wallace to step aside. Wallace spoke further, but he did eventually move, and Malone and Hood completed their registration for classes. This incident brought Wallace into the national spotlight and cemented him as a racist dickhead in the history books. Um, But then Forrest recounts after he witnesses the event, he ran for president and someone thought that that wasn't such a good idea. And that's, of course, reference to a 1972 assassination attempt against Wallace. Um, A lot of people getting shot in the late 60s and early 70s. I just noticed that. Yeah, it was a real popular thing back then. (laughs) <laughs> you didn't you didn't, sl- you didn't like someone you shoot him <laughs> right <laughs> of course jfk is shot in 1963 but forrest also references that but we flash forward to this all-america team and he says uh yeah they had free dr peppers in the oval office so i drank about 15 of them <laughs> 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 which leads to his famous i gotta pee um toilet humor is always funny i don't care who you are <laughs> Um, I, th- I think it's funnier here just because of the way it's presented because it goes from this like <laughs> official like historical retelling of this thing immediately to I gotta, I gotta pee. pee. <laughs> I gotta pee. And the way that's done is actually they they somehow Photoshop him or video shop him into like this historic archive footage of JFK shaking hands and stuff. So it's really believable they could even do this in the 90s, but um it's believable now if you watch the the film you're like is jfk really talking to tom hanks right now (laughs) it's really happening um but as you know jfk was fatally shot um a couple months after he meets forrest gump big buzzkill big buzzkill it's kind of a shame um because he was he was a pretty good president from what i read about him it was um the direct date was let me test my knowledge here november 22nd of 1963 and then his brother robert f kennedy was shot in 1968 while he was running for president. Uh, so it's just one of those horrible things. Like the the Kennedy family has this sort of curse placed on them where they all get um, shot or killed in these weird circumstances. So look into that because it's, it's a pretty cool little historical um, thing of note, I should say. So we flash forward to his college graduation in 1967. Uh, Forrest is then approached by an army recruiter who says, have you given any thought about your future? And of course, Forrest being... <laughs> The guy that he is, he's like, no, I guess I haven't. So he joins the United States Army, um, which a lot of people were doing back then. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to isolate Forrest, but this was have, Vietnam, right? This is the Vietnam era. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, the Vietnam War, as you know, was from 1955, the earliest stages to 1975, when it finally did end for us, at least. Because we lost. We did lose. Um, and it's a real shame. Because we <laughs> lost the Vietnam War. Remember, guys? Yeah. Remember how we were taught that in high school? Lost. Losers. We lost the <laughs> Vietnam War. We didn't just decide to like pick up our bootstraps and go because we had had enough. We actually lost it. No one wants to talk about it. Anyway, no, go we ahead. pulled out. How dare you? Um, <laughs> we, we lost is what happened. <laughs> we lost. You're right. Uh, but Forrest is on the bus going to boot camp and Forrest meets uh, Benjamin Buford Blue, who's a young African-American guy from... Bayou Labatre, Alabama. I think I said that right. Um, but he goes by the nickname Bubba. And Bubba told Forrest about his family history of cooking shrimp. You have that scene where they're doing all this stuff in boot camp, and he's like, shrimp gumbo, shrimp palaking, shrimp stew. <laughs> <laughs> all these different ways of cooking shrimp. Um, now that I'm thinking about it, I kind of want some shrimp right now. I'd go for some gumbo. Uh, 
but he says that, hey, you know, my family, they own a shrimping business. And I, when I get out of the army, I'm going to join the shrimping business. Bubba explains to Forrest uh, that it's a long history and they own a shrimping business and, you know, a long list of different types of shrimp. But Forrest is really the only one that wants to listen to him go on about this. So they become friends, of course. <laughs> Forrest does really well in the army. He follows orders without distraction. For instance, uh, the first like lineup that they do and the drill sergeant's like, what, what was your first job in the army? <laughs> to do whatever you tell me to, drill sergeant. <laughs> God is, damn yeah. it, if that ain't the smartest answer I've ever goddamn heard. <laughs> he must have an IQ over 150. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. <laughs> You're going to become a general someday. <laughs> Meanwhile, we have to flash over to the, I guess, sadder story of Jenny, but she's kind of having multiple relationships with multiple different men because, hey, the 60s were all about this idea of free love, you know. Free love. Go watch Austin Powers if you want the happy version of this. <laughs> uh, she gets kicked out of school for posing for Playboy uh, with her college sweater on. She's wearing nothing underneath, so it's very risque. Uh, Playboy is still kind of risque nowadays. Um, and people get in trouble for posing nude online. Imagine that. Um, no, they don't. They make a lot of money off of it. Yeah, they do. And more power to them. <laughs> uh, Good enough. Good enough. But she gets this job working in a in a strip club in Memphis, Tennessee, and Forrest, right before he deploys for Vietnam, has to go and, you know, see his family for hope maybe not the last time, but hopefully it's the, you know, hopefully it's not the last time. Mm-hmm. And he she's under the stage name of Bobby Dylan, which is a reference to, of course, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan famous around course. the time. Um but she's nude. She's playing guitar. She's wearing nothing but this guitar and people are heckling her and they're, oh, take it off, you know, being pigs and stuff like that. But uh, this this kind of ticks off Forrest and Forrest tells Jenny later on after that, that he loves her. And then Jenny replies that you don't know what love is. So <laughs> it's kind of like that scene where it's, oh, Forrest, come on. Why, why are you pursuing her? She doesn't like you back. You know, just give up. There's other, there's other fish in the sea, as they say. Um, but after that, you know, Forrest is deployed to Vietnam and there's a scene where his, his, uh, his mom is telling him, you know, be safe out there. And if anything happens, you run, you run from it. Um, <laughs> which kind of plays into the next scene here when he goes to Vietnam, cause he runs away <laughs> from a firefight that's happening. <laughs> uh, but before we get that, we have to introduce the country of Vietnam, this Vietnam war that we're having over there. And of course you, you can't, you can't pick a better song than fortunate son, right? That, that is, is, that is the, the song. Yeah. It is the Vietnam, Vietnam song, <laughs> which this is, is wild. First, yeah. This is the first of, I guess, many fortunate <laughs> son references. <laughs> this is the first <laughs> reference. It was this and call of duty black ops one. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you, uh, you get this, this scene where they're in this military camp, right? They're on, they're on base or whatever, the forest forward operating base. And there's beer cans. They're just having a grill out. You got to remember like at this time, the average age of the U S combat soldier in Vietnam was 19. Okay. Yeah. So imagine like somebody younger than me carrying a fully automatic machine gun out in the jungle millions, well not millions, but thousands of miles away from home. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to party. You're going to you know, be off the chain a little bit. Right. <laughs> I have friends who were in, I mean, who you guys have met, yeah. who are in uh, the military and more specifically the Marines. And let me tell you, at the age of 19, he 100% would have done this. He this hard. is so accurate. Drinking beer, having a barbecue, just chilling out. And then all of a sudden you got to go on patrol and then you, you know, have to get shot at and stuff like that. 
not so fun. Um, I don't <laughs> They meet Lieutenant Dan Taylor, and he gets angry at them for saluting him. He's like, "Don't salute me! There's snipers out in the forest." Um, <laughs> the, Lieutenant Dan kind of becomes a, a funny character later on, but right now he's angry. He's he's a lieutenant. He's commanding this little company of soldiers, and he's like, uh, "Take care of your feet. You know, you don't want gangrene." Yeah, he's the <laughs> experienced guy who comes from generations of military men yes. who have all died in war. Yes. Yep, and that is how he has decided his fate will go. Every, is, every single member of his family has died gruesomely in war. Yeah, um, which might be a comment on, you know, how we as Americans look at war. It's like the place where everyone has to go and parade around in the battlefield and die for their country. Um, and about that, you know, there was a lot of people over there at this time. In 1967, there were 485,000 American men on the ground in Vietnam. Nope. Taking at 536,100 soldiers in 1968 and, the, and something called the Tet Offensive. That is absolutely insane. That is a lot of people. Um, that's a lot of soldiers even to begin with. Mm-hmm. To kind of put that in perspective, in Iraq, it was 160,000 in 2008. So that's like a fifth of the peak soldiers in Vietnam. Like we were yeah. throwing everything we could at vietnam and we still couldn't win and vietnam was also like the last war that we had where like technology didn't eliminate a lot of like individual soldier positions like right like afghanistan iran all the all that whole like middle eastern conflict war on terror yeah the war on terror weren't Uh, they implementing like guerrilla warfare so they were like so that's yeah that's kind of why we failed so hard in Vietnam is because we were going in there with World War II tactics. Mm-hmm. And here you have this, the the Viet Cong, which could be anywhere. There's not a uniformed force of men that were used to fighting. And they were just spread us, out everywhere. Which is wild that we went into it with like World of War, World War II tactics because we essentially, it, yeah, it barely worked in World it did War not. II. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it works really well when you're fighting against like, say, Nazi Germany. But yeah. not so well when you're fighting a guerrilla force because, I mean... We were like, hey, there are rules. And they were like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> They're like coming out of these like holes in the ground and like people are falling into pits with spikes. It was brutal. nuts. Very brutal. Um, and it was all out in the jungle. So it's really hot and 100% humidity. And I, I can't even imagine that. Stupid. Outside Stupid. it was maybe 85 today and I felt like I was dying on a walk. So <laughs> imagine it being 90 with 100% humidity and you're out in the middle of a jungle and you're cutting through all this brush and you're holding a machine gun and got to keep an eye out for Charlie because he could be anywhere. It's just levels of human suffering that we can't even fathom um, in the 21st century. So after several uneventful months, their platoon is ambushed by the Viet Cong and several soldiers are wounded and killed in, in the fight. But in the confusion, Forrest uh, initially was ordered to retreat, so he runs. He runs all the way back to safe territory, and he's separated from the rest of his platoon. But after being concerned for Bubba, he ran back, and he picked him up, and he got him. And then he decided to rescue everyone else in his platoon. <laughs> so <laughs> they're kind of... No, no, no. What, what happened? He, had, he got safe, and he's like, I gotta go find Bubba. Yeah, that's And so it. he goes looking for him, but every time he goes and finds a different person from his platoon, <laughs> he's injured, and he's like, I gotta save him. I gotta find Bubba. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I think towards the end of that little running scene, he he finds Lieutenant Dan. Mm-hmm. And Lieutenant Dan is on the ground. And he's like, leave me, you bitch. Like, let me die on the battlefield like everyone else. Um, 
And he doesn't because he's like, I like you, Lieutenant Dan. I got to save you. <laughs> I've got to save you, Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> he manages to carry him away from the combat area. And then Lieutenant Dan uh, does what you do when you're in Vietnam. He calls in a napalm strike, um, which is pretty close to his position. Really ballsy move there. Uh, and yeah, sadly, he was planning on dying in the napalm. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> call it in on me. I want to go out and bang. <laughs> insane. Insane. Um but sadly, you know, you have this scene where Bubba does die in Forrest Gump's arm. Um, it's, I guess, a little bit funny because he's like, hey, Bubba, <laughs> yeah, Forrest. And he's he's clearly bleeding out. His last words are, I want to go home. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's heartbreaking to think about all these lives that were cut short in, in Vietnam because, I mean, they're, they're 19-year-olds. The average age is 19. Think about if, think about all the things you did when you were 19 and younger. That's not a, that's not a full life. Like what, what did you do? You were in college maybe it's cut short by, by warfare. So, um, outside of like all these jokes about fortunate son and Vietnam flashbacks, it was a real place and a real war happened over there. And a lot of young Americans and young Vietnamese civilians, uh, unfortunately did meet their demise. And, you know, we talk about every conflict up to this point. We talk about world war one. We talk about Korea, world war two. It's up until the 60s when the United States kind of has this uh, moment of truth, I guess, where we start feeling not so good about ourselves. Um, you kind of see this erosion of patriotism and when the troops come back from from their deployment are, are spit on, they're they're disrespected mm-hmm. and they're out there risking their lives. They're just following the draft orders. And they, you know, they're just doing their job and then they come back and they get, you know, trashed. But thankfully that's kind of changed in, in uh, modern day America. And we kind of go over there just to stop communism. But at the end of the day, it's like, what does that even mean? How do you stop an idea from spreading? It's kind of bizarre. I, I can just tell you right off the bat that you probably don't stop an idea with guns and bombs. Okay. <laughs> you probably do it with like education or like the country was trending towards a communistic state way before the U.S. gets involved. So how do you kind of stop that? I don't know. Um, but that's kind of the reason why we lost in the end. So it's something that kind of haunts the U.S. military even to this day, um, where people are saying like, "Oh, Iraq and Afghanistan, it's not going to be another Vietnam." And then what do we do? We get stuck there for ten years. So, how would you figure out if that's not another Vietnam? So we flash forward to Forrest himself being shot in the buttocks during a firefight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he recovers in an Army Medical Center in Saigon. Lieutenant Dan is in a bed next to his, having lost his legs due to his injuries. Um, Lieutenant Dan is bitter and angry after this because he's like you were supposed to let me die and he never talks yeah. to Forrest. yeah he blames Forrest for his life being shit yeah for his injuries yeah and it might be a little like ptsd mixed in there too because i mean yeah. combat tends to do that to people um but he's pretty much like disabled at this point he has to use a wheelchair because he's amputated from like the knee down or so yeah on both legs both legs um and then Forrest, you know later receives the medal of honor for his bravery in vietnam so Bravo for us. Then he gets to meet the next president of the United States. It's just, wow. How did he get so lucky? Um, it's, of course, being awarded to him by, who was the president at this time? Anyone? Anyone? Hold on. Uh, 1968? It's Herbie, not Reagan. Herbie nope. Hancock. <laughs> no, it's Lyndon B. Johnson. <laughs> nope. Wouldn't have known that. Yeah. He's he's kind of a minor president, but he's a big yeah. deal. Um, 
he asks, you know, where'd you get hit, Forrest? And Forrest tells him, I got shot in the buttocks. And then he shows Doesn't he his... like whisper it in his ear or something? <laughs> he he wh- whispers it. He leans in to whisper it and he goes, I got shot in the buttocks. <laughs> shot. He pulls down his trousers and They shows. said it was a million dollar shot, but I never saw a dime of that. <laughs> He's so funny. <laughs> a real comedian, right? <laughs> it's like every everything that happens in Forrest's life, it's like it reminds like the entire movie's tone as a whole, no matter how like bad everything is, is just it's charming. Yeah. It's just like <laughs> Forrest charming. is just such a charming guy. <laughs> I mean, the theme of the movie is right there in the middle where he's wiping his face on the t-shirt. He says it happens. <laughs> and then the t-shirt comes out and the guy's made a shit ton of money off of writing shit happens shit on a t-shirt happens. with a smiley face. That's Forrest Gump's whole thing. Yeah. He just kind of stumbles into fame and fortune. It's it's very funny. Uh, but later on, he's like patro- pat- patrolling, not patrolling. He's walking around Washington, D.C. He's, he's seeing all the sights and sounds and he sees Jenny again yeah. after yeah. he gives us a speech in the Washington Memorial, Washington Monument. What's that big pool called <laughs> in Washington, uh, D.C.? The, <laughs> reflective, the reflective pool? pool. Yeah, the reflection pool. Yeah, so, so he's out there, he's giving the speech, and uh, there's this guy, he's pumping up the crowd because there's obviously protests going on against Vietnam. It's a very unpopular war. Um, and he's like, yeah, we're, we're going to have a real veteran up here. He's going to talk about Vietnam. And he's, he's saying uh, a lot of F words. And Forrest is like, he really liked to say the F word. <laughs> he really liked that F word. <laughs> Then uh, Jenny comes walking across the the reflecting pool, and they get this like moment of reunion. And Forrest tells Jenny that he got his medal of honor by just doing what you told me to, which is running. So, kind of interesting. Then we flash to this uh, scene where he's playing ping pong. <laughs> oh, you forgot a part. You, you forgot about the part where he uh, where he goes. I'm sorry I ruined your Black Panther party. Oh, yeah, I'm sure about that. <laughs> so the Black Panther. Him, him and Jenny, they reunite for a little bit, and right. she tries to bring him to her political uh, little parties, <laughs> one of which being a Black Panther meetup. Uh, and yeah, and Forrest uh, unwittingly uh, punches the leader of the Black Panther party in the face. Yep. <laughs> Because he's being kind of abusive towards Jenny, and he doesn't yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, so he just goes in there, <laughs> pops <Yeah>. someone. <laughs> Which it's like it's you. You start to see this theme of like Jenny herself gets into bad situations. Yes, and but what ends up happening is whenever Forrest tries to save her, she blames Forrest for making it worse. Right, which yeah. drives him away. So it's this it's this constant cycle of Jenny and Forrest doing that exact thing. Yeah, um, which is. I guess kind of interesting too. Um, then we have this ping pong scene that I was I was talking about before, where he he gets really good at ping pong because why wouldn't <laughs> he be? I guess he joins the Army Special Services uh, and he entertains these wounded American veterans with his ping pong skills. And then he travels to China during the ping pong diplomacy period of the early 1970s, um, which kind of turns Forrest into a national celebrity. <laughs> and then he has. He appears on uh, Dick Cavett's show, who was a popular late night guy uh, mm-hmm. during this time. And he's right on next to John Lennon. Yep. <laughs> John Lennon of the Beatles. <laughs> and after hearing Forrest talk about the the Chinese people having no possessions and no religion during his interview, uh, it eventually inspires John Lennon to write the song Imagine, because it goes, mm-hmm. Imagine, you know, there's no 
stuff and things. Uh, <laughs> so after this, he does eventually reunite with Lieutenant Dan. Um, and he's in a wheelchair. He's celebrating the holidays with him. And uh, during a New Year's Eve celebration in 1971, Forrest persuades Lieutenant Jan, Lieutenant Jan, Lieutenant Dan <laughs> to join him in the shrimping business as his first mate. Because it's revealed that after the war, you know, he makes all this money in ping pong and then he's going to invest it in a shrimping boat because that's what Bubba would have wanted him to do. Um, Dan later invites two prostitutes, Kara, Kara and Lenore, to his New Year's Day party, both of whom eventually are kicked out of the apartment for insulting Forrest when Forrest rejected their advances. So he's kind of like this asexual guy in a way. He doesn't really like contact with other women. Um, and that includes Jenny, I think, uh, earlier on because he's just like, there's a scene where they're in the, Jenny's college dorm room, flashing back a little bit, where uh, Jenny asks Forrest, have you ever been with a woman? And he goes, I don't know what you mean. And he, <laughs> she takes uh, Forrest's hands and places on her breasts because, you know, trying to entice a little action there, huh? Um, it's a family show, Nick. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> we'll move on from that. <laughs> Uh, Forrest eventually says the prostitute smelt like cigarettes and Dan replied simply wishing Forrest a happy new year so they have this kind of uh, on again off again kind of love hate type of relationship between these two guys um, it's eventually it turns out for the best of course because um, Lieutenant Dan has this moment of um, I guess inner peace and tranquility when it just kind of falls backwards off the shrimping boat Mm -hmm. And he starts swimming. He's like, oh, I'm laughing. I'm happy again. So I don't know. I guess that's a moment of... Uh, after after he sits out on the the deck during the... Yeah. He challenges God. Yeah, he challenges God in the hurricane. That's right. You will not sink this boat. <laughs> and he doesn't. Yeah, and no. in that moment, Lieutenant Dan defeats God and can live out his life. <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, that's what it, he thinks. I, well, I think it like he reads it more as is like, his destiny was denied to him. And now at like in that moment, him like reconciling with God that like his destiny is his own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, that that's, that's, yeah, that's what that is. Mm -hmm. Um, I almost skipped over the part where he, he does the Watergate, <laughs> the Watergate <Yeah>. scandal. <laughs> <laughs> he meets Richard Nixon, uh, who offers him a room Tricky to Nick. stay. Tricky Dicky in the, uh, Watergate hotel. <laughs> and then, of course, as you know, they were broken into by the Democratic National Convention. Because, um, uh, what is it? What's the story again? Richard Nixon's trying to steal secrets or recordings or something like that. I'm a little foggy on Watergate. I'll admit it. It's kind of boring, I guess. Uh, but it gets Tricky Dick in a lot of trouble. It gets impeached. Yeah. For, <laughs> Forrest sees them breaking into the hotel room, and Forrest <laughs> is the one that calls it in. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, you, you see this moment where I guess Lieutenant Dan is kind of contemplating. Um, he's like, uh, you know, he has this moment of peace and tranquility and he challenges God and wins and all that. And then you have this flash forward or flash meanwhile, meanwhile type of transition to Jenny, um, where she's having this life of drugs, this burglary, uh, sexual promiscuity. Uh, there's First this event. I ever heard the song Freebird. Freebird. Yeah. It's the yep. guitar. So, and she's standing on top of a roof assumingly high on cocaine mm -hmm. and she kind of compliments like actual suicide because she's about to jump off um but she kind of slips and then he's like oh i don't want to do that um you can kind of see where she's in a, in a dark place and um without forest so they kind of need each other at, at some point i don't think that's 
fair to the writing of Forrest Gump to say that Jenny's in a dark place because she's without Forrest. It's maybe... Jenny's in a dark place because Jenny is a very complicated character. Yes, yes. Even in the moments that Forrest remembers to tell us she's dealing with like being abused by her father. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, never really having true value for herself, mm-hmm. being kicked out of college. There are a lot of reasons why Jenny is the way Jenny is. Right. Yeah. It's not necessarily tied to Forrest or his yeah. journey. Yeah, I think yeah. their meeting is what is ultimately the solution to a lot of problems they're both sharing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, but I would not say that without Forrest, it is a cause and effect yes. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, eventually you kind of see uh, Jenny calms down after a while. Uh, she stops leaving this, leading this life of like, I guess sin, <laughs> if you want to call it a, in, in the religious sense, but they would have in the eighties. They would have mm-hmm. probably. Yeah. Um, so Forrest founds the Bubba Gunt Shrimp Company, um, and you get that thing where Forrest, um, or Lieutenant Dan, sorry, I had a brain slip there. <laughs> he put a lot of money into some fruit. Yeah. Some fruit company. <laughs> he puts a lot of money into Apple. <laughs> he said that we'd never have to worry about money again. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. So he makes a substantial investment in Apple computing of all things. Like he just... Yeah. How does he get just this a good lucky? call? Just a good call. He didn't make it. Which, it was like, which only aged like fine wine after the movie came out. <laughs> yeah, the movie came bigger. out and then it got huge. It's yeah, it's crazy. But he gives this money to Bubba's family because Bubba's no longer there, and they kind of share this investment money, and it takes care of like the entire family. They never have to shrimp ever again. Um, so <laughs> sorry because it's around this point where it's like you get the. The new guy who's sitting by the bench at the bus stop is like, you're telling me we've been sitting next to a multimillionaire this yeah. entire time. <laughs> then he walks away chuckling to himself like, yeah, right, buddy. Yeah. It is wild that the Bubblegum Shrimp Company is like a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like some, like they made, it's like a, there are restaurants all over the place. I think the closest one to us might be in Gatlinburg, but they're like all over the place. Isn't it? I, it's been a while since I've been to the airport. But is there one at the? I don't think so. There's one at like nearly every other airport in America. So (laughs) it's wild. Yeah, they're a big deal nowadays. We should have invested back then, huh? (laughs) Uh, Then you have this uh, this scene where, of course, you know nothing can last forever. You eventually have to deal with the the loss of your parents. And um, Forrest Gump's mother has cancer, and they spend this time in moving back to Greenbow, Alabama, where. They have this moment where like, uh, you know, have to deal with this loss and Forrest Gump's mother eventually does pass away from the cancer. And he's like, you know what? I'm just going to start running. So he starts running and he's like, well, I got to the edge of Alabama and I'm going to keep running to the next state. And then eventually he reaches the East Coast. And he said, that was pretty fun. I'm going to go for the West Coast now. So. <laughs> and then he gets to the end of the West Coast and he goes. I'm going to go home. Everyone's like, what? He has like a cult following him at this point. Yeah, the running cult. I'm going home now. Trying to give a a sermon or something when you're running. (laughs) (laughs) Running is really... Hold on a minute. (laughs) I mean, that's... I think that's at the end of the day. It's not luck that makes Forrest Gump who he is. It's that he is so simple of a man that he's easily imprintable. Like, you can imprint whatever ideologies you have on Forrest Gump, 
whether you want him to be the war hero or you want him to be, you know, the the all-American uh, football player or you want him to be he'll be whatever you want him to be, uh, granted. But if you assume that he is a quote unquote cult leader or he has a higher recollection of the world around him while he's running across country, it's hard for us to understand that he's just doing it because he likes to run. Yeah. Everybody's like, no, he's doing it for this reason. He's doing it for that reason. That's what makes Forrest Gump him is that everybody who makes him such a big deal in history, they're making him a big deal because they want him to be that person. Yeah. It's never what he wants. No, he's just, he's just kind of there and everyone's kind of impressing their values upon him when he's really just kind of a blank slate, I guess. Exactly. Um, We already mentioned kind of the scene where he inspires the shit happens shirt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to get so one somehow of those. he wipe he wipes his face on it, and it's, and it's just the perfect <laughs> smiley face. God, he's kind that of like a made, Jesus figure in that moment, right? That made my brain hurt so bad as a kid. <laughs> I was like, that? "How do you get that?" Um, eventually, we we kind of we get the scene where he's like, uh, "I'm kind of tired. I'm gonna go home now." Yeah, <laughs> he just goes home. Yeah, that's it. That's the end of that. So it's kind of a flashback to present day, present in the film being 1981. Um, and you can kind of see references of President Reagan's uh, attempted assassination um, during this time. Um, and then Forrest is like, yeah, I'm waiting for bus number. I forget the actual number. And then the lady says, oh, that just takes you right down the street. So <laughs> he goes and he runs to Jenny's home. He's trying to see Jenny. That's why he's trying to, he has this box of chocolates in his suitcase and he's He's going to give it to Jenny as like a, a kind of, um, I don't know, homecoming gift. Or yeah, call it. Well, in his mind, it's so like, Hey, I, I love you. Here's this thing. Yeah. That's, that's this thing. I you love get you. Chocolates Jenny. for people that you love. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's revealed that, you know, Forrest has not Forrest. Uh, Jenny has a, uh, some sort of virus. That's, that's where the film leaves it. It could be hepatitis C. It could be HIV. It could be any number of, um, I think that we're all pretty confident in what it is. Is it is it HIV? I think so. Because uh, that's like right. That's knocking on the door of like the AIDS crisis. Yeah, in the, the AIDS 90s. epidemic of the eighties. Because um, unfortunately, that that did happen, and a lot of people were like, "Oh, it's because of uh, homosexuals." And no, it's not. It it's, was more likely because of the idea of free love. It was free love combined with like intravenous drug use when you're sharing needles and stuff like that. Yep. Um, you know, yeah. it's, it's one of these unknown diseases at the time, and it takes it takes a while for them to kind of develop a, a, a cure or... Yeah, Come down with the crack. sickness, if you would. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> crack the code. <laughs> um, but eventually they do have a kid, so they have a little forest, and it's kind of cute. Uh, well, yeah, that's the big surprise, is Forrest shows up, and she's like, hey, I want you to meet someone. Yeah. Because they had had an... an uh, relation yeah, at one she point. She had come mm. home to Greenbow, Alabama at some mm-hmm. point. And they 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 did the do. They they, they did the do. In the Sims the, from from the Sims, they whoopied. They, they whoopied. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. Woo-hooed. They made whoopee, I think is what you're thinking of. Yeah. They they fucked. <laughs> I was gonna put We it all later. on board here. <laughs> yeah. Are we all here? Have we made it. Are we adults? Uh <laughs> anyway. It's sexual intercourse. Um know, things are still a little blurry for me. <laughs> Uh, Forrest and Jenny do get married eventually. It's an intimate ceremony attended only by a handful of family and friends. Among of the attendees are uh, Lieutenant Dan, who gets these titanium prosthetic legs. Lieutenant Dan, you got new legs. <laughs> well, one, I think one thing that we kind of skipped over a little bit is when 
Jenny does introduce his son. Also oh, that is Forrest. a big moment. Yeah, it is the first thing that Forrest asks her is, mm-hmm. "Is he smart or is he like me?" Yeah, she Aww. says, "No, he's smart." And Forrest is just taken aback. He's like crying. Yeah, Aww. like crying at how happy he is that he has a son who's smart. Because that's the thing is, it really like makes you aware. Like Forrest knows that he's not a smart man. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like he's very aware of that. Like he's not intellectually smart. But he's very like interpersonally smart, mm-hmm. right? And he's he's very good at that awareness, and this is the first moment where you kind of see that he like really recognizes that, and you see how much it really bothers him that he isn't smart, and yeah. having that cathar- catharsism in his son, being d- unlike him. Yeah, it's just a sweet scene. It's a really it's a real tearjerker, um, if you want to put it like that. But it's it's like Forrest is, he's he knows he's. A little, a little slower than the normal people, and it's, oh, I have a son, and he can carry on my legacy. It's just, ah, so good. Um, so this is a cool part that uh, Lieutenant Dan is actually married to uh, a Vietnamese person named Susan, mm-hmm. and <laughs> not something that I picked up on until this moment. But yeah, you're right, yeah. and that's a big deal. That's <laughs> because, huge. You know, in Vietnam, they're they're kind of trained like this is the enemy. This is what they look like. They're Vietnamese. They look like so and so. We don't have to get into that. No, because that's for sure not what American soldiers did. But Ooh. it's okay. No, it was it was. Uh, yeah, it's a that's a convoluted thing in and of itself. And I don't think we'll have time to get into that today. But um, I don't want to get into that. It's bad. You can do your own research. It's very bad. Um, Jenny reveals that he's that she's going to die uh, someday because she has this virus. But before she dies, she asked Forrest what it was like in Vietnam. And he responded by saying, it was nice when it stopped raining. It would be quiet and peaceful. And he states that while he was running in Oregon, it looked as if there were two skies and two mountains since there was a lake in front of the mountain. <laughs> Forrest also states that while running in the desert, this, as the sun was rising, it was the most beautiful sight ever. Jen responds by saying, she wishes that she was there with him. Forrest smiles and says, you were there with me. Forrest Best has line. her kind of buried under the, the tree uh, as they played on when they were children and then buys her childhood home where her father had abused her and it was bulldozed as this kind of final like, we're done with this um, and you can be free of these things that happened. Uh, though Jenny, though he misses Jenny terribly, um, he doesn't go on a running tour after this death, unfortunately. Um, Forrest becomes a good father to little Forrest. And one day while visiting Jenny's grave, this is after when he's waiting on the bus. It's 1982. So he reflects on the idea of fate and destiny, wondering if Lieutenant Dan was right about people having their own destiny, or if his mother was right about the description of life as floating around accidentally like a breeze. Forrest eventually decides maybe it's both. Maybe it's both happening at the same time. He leaves Jenny a letter from little Forrest and says, and tells her if there's anything you need and won't be far away. Forrest is last seen outside his home, sitting where he and his mother sat waiting for the bus, seeing little Forrest off on his bus ride to school, telling him that he loves him and he will be waiting here there for him. So there we go. That, that's how the film ends. And uh, if you didn't cry at the end, you might be a robot. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> if you didn't cry at the end of Forrest Gump, you, you might, might be, be a robot. <laughs> you might be a redneck. <laughs> um, well, that's huge. Yeah. That's it's we can talk a little bit about the symbolism now if we have time for it. But, you know, you start thinking about like, I think we kind of we kind of did, you know, get on a little bit. Um, I just want to pose this theory out there in the, in the ether. Maybe Forrest could be uh, 
kind of representative of the the general American public. You know, we're all we're all oh, pretty, hell yeah, we're all pretty dumb after all, and I I don't think that we're kind of aware that we're living through history right now. I mean, think about it. Um, we're just kind of bumping shoulders with random people that maybe sometimes they're they're movers and shakers. You know, maybe yeah. I mean, know. I think that's a huge theory because I mean. Like you said, uneducated, the American public. Unfortunately. <laughs> but, but like, all of the stuff that Forrest Gump went through, while it feels like such a niche story, really what he's doing is he's jumping to some of the, like, most widely uh, experienced events throughout that time period. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's why the movie hits so hard, is because everybody recognizes everything that happens in the movie. Everyone yeah. was there and was a part of it. Mm -hmm. It didn't go on behind closed doors. It was all in the public eye. Yeah. Every, so, every, yeah. Everyone knows what is going on in these stories. Everyone except for Forrest. <laughs> Forrest, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Forrest is kind of like, he's representative of the feather, I think, in the first frame and in the end frame because- He's just being blown around. Being floating. He's floating. He's kind of, then he lands. He's just a feather in him. the wind. Going where people tell him to go. <laughs> That's Forrest. He's a feather in the wind. Yeah. Um, there's also this theory out there that this is kind of a conservative leaning film, but I couldn't really disagree I don't think more. so. I don't really I think, think it has any political I think that it's pretty clear that Americans need to wake up a little. Wake up, yeah. America. <laughs> <laughs> I think it shows the ugliness of American history over anything else, really. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, we had the, first we had, like, the civil rights movement where we decided to be racist for a while. Yeah. Well, um, it's like once once you frame all of that with the innocence that is Forrest, it's like yeah. it all looks so much worse. Oh, oh yeah. 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 You don't realize what's going on because he's just kind of like, oh, you know, he got shot. And uh, did anything else happen yeah. after that? No, he just like, got shot. Oh, he just picked up the black girl's books. What's yeah. what's so wrong with that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Forrest breaking down barriers all yeah. the way back then. Uh, but in conclusion, if I make it to my conclusion bit here, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. The long-term trends of our country and our place within it are something that this film kind of highlights. While most of us are just kind of floating through life like a feather, Every so often we brush shoulders with some real movers and shakers that we might not be aware of. Guess that's, uh, guess that folks, you know, like it or not, we're living through history right now. I know I've said that a couple of times, but everything you see on the move on the news, um, will most likely be written down in the history books of tomorrow. Uh, part of the reason why I think this film resonates with me is that Forrest is essentially a child throughout the film and it provides a simplistic view of us history, um, in the middle part of the 20th century. That's easy to follow and easy to understand, even for somebody that's half asleep on their phone in the back of history class. Um, so thanks for sitting there. Thanks for listening to my little lecture on Forrest Gump. I hope that you will watch this movie sometime in the future. There's always a seat for you in Mr. Thicknick's history class. If you ever are in the mood for watching a funny comedy drama film about U.S. history in the 20th century, maybe this is the movie for you. As always, uh, thanks for listening, and that's all I got to say about that. Pretty good. Nice <laughs> Nick, you have inspired me to change my quick this, so I'm going to. Oh, when wow. we get right back, we'll get into it. And we're back. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, do I got a timer? I got a quick this I want to share. I always forget the, the gosh darn timer. All right. Let's, let's start because I want to also talk about Forrest Gump. Please go ahead. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> it's a quick this about Forrest Gump. That's right. That's First off, meta. did you guys... 
did you guys know that the novel was much different from the original film that came out? I did. I heard a little bit about this. Yeah. Let me hit you up with some of the differences and then we'll get into kind of the meat and potatoes of what this quick this is going to be about. Mm. So first things first, Forrest Gump was actually pretty smart in the book. Hmm. He showed high levels of intelligence and physics and science as well as mathematics in the book. And he was less kind of a kind child soul at all times. It was more a mischievous asshole kid <laughs> at all times. He was cursing all the time. He was a bit aggressive at times. He wasn't as likable as Tom Hanks made him out to be. Uh, another thing is Forrest Gump didn't meet Bubba in the army in the book. He actually met him at a college uh, football game where they had both attended college hmm. and bonded over their low IQ, but they later both joined the war. Uh, in the book, uh, Lieutenant Dan does not join the, the, uh, bubblegum shrimp company, nor does he left the bubblegum shrimp company after, uh, Forrest decides to leave. Uh, so that's another huge difference, but this is the biggest difference. And one of the most important ones, uh, is that, uh, in the book, Forrest does not end up with Jenny and Jenny does not die. Hmm. Jenny gets to live. Hmm. So why is that important? And why do I think this can take up five minutes? Well, because Forrest <laughs> Gump was the first in uh, a series of books. There's a second. There's uh, a sequel to Forrest Gump called Gump and Co. Written after the film. Written after the film. Interesting. That, that takes place in a world where the film happened. Uh, and he is reacting to the fact that they made a movie about his life because the, the new book takes place in the nineties. That's meta. Um, <laughs> it's very meta on the first page. Forrest Gump tells readers, don't let nobody make a movie about your life, whether they get it right or wrong. It don't matter. Okay. Because he didn't like the movie that they made about him. <laughs> uh, he actually, there are a couple of things that happens in the book that I'm going to go over. First off, Forrest Gump plays professional football for the Saints. <laughs> the All New right. Orleans Saints? The New Orleans Saints. Um, because he runs into somebody while working at a strip club in New Orleans after, uh, after Lieutenant Dan leaves uh, the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. And Bubba's father lets Forrest know that he's basically ruined. He has no money. He's poor again. And that's what starts this adventure. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, Forrest goes to work in a strip club in New Orleans and ends up running into a Saints player known as Snake quarterback Ken Stabler. Yeah, Stabler. If you're familiar. Stabler, sorry. Um, who apparently used to play for the University of Alabama alongside Forrest. Yeah. So, yeah, Forrest Gump ends up going and playing for the Saints, but he ends up leaving the Saints because uh, he finds out that Jenny has died. Jenny dies in the second book. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. So that leaves Forrest with, of course, Little Forrest. Mm -hmm. uh, and he becomes a door-to-door -door, uh, encyclopedia salesman for a shady guy named Slim. Little Forrest points out that the encyclopedias are no good. And when pointing this out to Slim, he's basically told to sell them. Um, but he doesn't want to sell them because they're not right. But he ends up going to the manor uh, owned by Hopes, the Hopeswells. If you don't know the Hopeswells, nope. here's a little hint. He ends up in an affair with Mrs. Hopewell um, because her husband is occupied doing research and development work. Research and development, what you may ask? Well, when told to help find something in the kitchen, Forrest sees a can of Coca-Cola, but they do not taste like they used to, causing Forrest to experiment with different foods to make a better recipe. This gets the notice of Mr. Hopewell, but Forrest cannot remember the ingredients he added, and Forrest is given the job in Coke's research and development 
uh, department to which he cannot remember the recipe, ends up making a terrible recipe that he claims was the original recipe, and they name New Coke. <laughs> New Coke? <laughs> Come on, Forrest. They're saying Forrest Gump invented New Coke. Um <laughs> There are a couple of other things, like Forrest Gump is deployed to the Persian Gulf War, where his tank crew captures Saddam Hussein. (laughs) All right. Okay. (laughs) And yeah, eventually he ends up meeting with uh, none other than um, Tom Hanks to discuss his role as Forrest (laughs) Gump in the movie Forrest Gump. It's a wild ride. Come on, man. Um, it <laughs> was going to be made. It was going to be made into a sequel, but just like uh, the, you know, Deus Ex Machina that causes Forrest Gump to be in all these places at all these times, uh, the script for the sequel was delivered or was submitted on September 10th, 2001. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yes. It's some rough so timing. It got put in development hell and never saw the light of day. Got it. But Tom Hanks doesn't want to do it because he says he hates it when people quote Forrest Gump to him. <laughs> and he doesn't want that to happen again. Well, uh, I'll keep that in mind if he ever comes on this podcast. Yeah, if I ever meet, meet Tommy Hanks. Something tells me just from that detail alone, he will not want to come on the podcast. No. <laughs> Life's like a box of chocolates, Tom. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> he said he hates that one most of all. <laughs> But it's it's classic. It's, classic it's a classic. Just like classic Coke. Thank you guys so much for listening <laughs> to this classic Coke. episode of Entertain This. If there's anything in the realm of entertainment that we haven't covered yet, at this point, chances are we have. Have you checked our backlog? <laughs> uh, but if you check our backlog and you find out that we haven't covered the thing that you like, reach out to us because we'd love to cover it. There are a couple of different ways that you can do that. The first and most easiest way is to go to our website, www.entertainthis backslash ET dash podcast. Scroll all the way to the bottom, fill out the little questionnaire there, get sent straight to us, and we'll hit you up with a reply. Or you could just email us directly. Our email is entertainthispodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter. We are entertain underscore this on Instagram. We are entertain this podcast. And on Facebook, we are podcast entertain this as always entertain us so we can entertain you and you can entertain this we'll see you guys next friday goodbye goodbye this episode of entertain this was written by me nick mustakangas with additional commentary from michael savoya and alex Steele. our showrunner resident fact checker is chloe price our theme music is Rush Bubble by Aaron Spencer, with interstitial music by DJW. Tune in every Friday for new episodes, and thanks for listening. 